Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Agile Games Podcast. We are back. Yay. Happy 2017, everyone. A little bit late. Yeah, we took some time during the holidays, and now we're back and excited to be back at it. And we've got a really cool episode tonight, too. Oh, we sure do. We have one of our favorite Agile Games enthusiasts with us tonight. The fabulous Mike Bowler is joining us. Hi. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. I'm good. Uh, we've ran into each other a few times at some different conferences. I know you were at Agile Games last year in Boston, where Laura mm-hmm. and I were. Yes, I love that conference. Yeah, it's a, that's a great one. I think we also ran into you at uh, Agile 2017 and probably a few of the others, 16, 15, 14. <laughs> they, they send a blur together a bit. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So welcome. Um, now your your company is Gargoyle Software. Is that am I right. remembering that correctly? Well, there yes. must be a story behind the name, Mike. Well, the short answer is names are hard. <laughs> <laughs> and back when I was first trying to come up with it, uh, my niece had given me a gargoyle statue. So as I was pacing back and forth in my apartment trying to come up with a name, I kept walking past this gargoyle statue, and that's where the name comes from. Uh-huh. I've always liked gargoyles. <laughs> And, and there, it does sort of fit the theme. A gargoyle, for those who know their history, is a decorative water spout. So it's something yeah. that is functional. It's a water spout designed to protect the buildings from erosion, but it's a decorative. And I sort of felt that that was a good approach for a company, something very functional that also looks good. I like it. And function. I like that. And I always think of gargoyles as something, uh, it's a bit of protection, you know? So as an Agilist, you're protecting a company as they grow and expand and move into new spaces. As long as we're talking about history and, and kind of your background, why don't you why don't you walk us through it? How did you get into Agile coaching? And It's interesting. About At the end of the 90s, uh, I was getting really frustrated with watching projects fail. I, I come from a development background. And so at the end of the 90s, I was really frustrated. It didn't seem to matter how much effort we put into these projects. Things were failing left and right. We either deliver the wrong thing or we deliver late or it would be too much money or it would be too buggy. The the, the list of problems was endless. And in 99, I discovered the extreme programming community, XP, Mm -hmm. which was filled with people just like me, people who just wanted to find a better way. And it wasn't that they believed that XP was the right way. It was a community full of people that just wanted to experiment and try things and see what worked and what didn't. And it was just like me, and I loved that. So I got deep into the XP community, and then from there, then the Agile term came along a couple of years later, and it just sort of went from there. It was always my intention at the beginning to just find a team that was doing XP or Agile and join them. I never wanted to be coaching them. My goal was just to join a team and be part of a team, but I couldn't find one. And so I started creating them. So did you start out as a developer? Yes. Yes. I come from a development background. I've been writing code for 30 years. And I just, in 99-ish area, I could not find an Agile team, or back then XP teams. Couldn't find one. So in 2001, I convinced a client to let me create one. I've been doing that ever since. And you never looked back. And how did that first one go? What did you learn? We We made a lot of mistakes, but we did a lot of things well as well. We had... You know, almost 100% unit test coverage. We had very high technical quality. We were working together at doing a lot of pairing in a very close room, uh, doing a lot of really good things, but also made a lot of mistakes. We, we did things that were perceived incorrectly. We didn't manage perceptions. We had people who just 
couldn't get into it and actually self-selected off the team. So all kinds of mistakes were made, but we learned a tremendous amount. And that's the whole point. The whole point is try something, see what works, what doesn't, and get better from there. And move on. Yeah, that's one of the, the awesome things about it is you're not making the same mistakes over and over. And I feel like that just forward movement, even when something doesn't go the way you hoped it would, at least it's not the same mistake you made two years ago on a different team. It's Exactly. Our listeners may have heard that about in there or about. Uh, yes. You're up there in Canada. Where, where, uh, whereabouts in Canada are well, you? Well, at the moment on? I'm in Texas. But, yes, I do live in Canada. Uh, I'm just outside Toronto. So is this where that team was? That uh, Was this up in Toronto? Yes. Yes, that team was in Toronto because at the time I wasn't traveling. Now I travel all around the world to help teams. But back then I was working just locally. Great. So what's the software scene up there in Canada and Toronto like? Oh, it's it's much the same as what we find in the U.S. The, the biggest key difference is that everything in Canada is localized. Everything is shipped in two languages. Mm. And it seems like a really small thing. But when I'm working with U.S. teams that have never tried to translate something to a second language, it's a huge mental shift. Oh, yeah. And we all just take it for granted because we're forced to do it. We have to ship in English and French. If you're working for a big company, you cannot target just one of the two languages. That's cool. So then uh, games, how did that come about? Well, games, I've, I've liked to do interactive things You know, over the years as I've tried to, to get better at teaching, get better at explaining the ideas. It just became obvious that when people actually do something, they're going to learn more than if they just listen to me tell them about something. So I've been trying to get them to actually experience all along, and that's where games come into it. Now, the games that we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, somebody else actually came up with the idea for those particular ones. I do a lot of Lego games to teach technical practices. And these were originally the, the brainchild of Brian Beecham, who I expect both of you already know, and mm-hmm. many of your listeners yep. may as well. This was, interestingly, before I had actually met Brian, I started seeing all these tweets that he was doing, teaching TDD in Lego at some conference in the U.S., and I thought, this is absolutely brilliant. I need to meet this guy. And to make a long story much shorter, over the next couple of years, we became very good friends, and we started developing these exercises together and expanding them out to teach more and more technical concepts. The original idea was to teach non-technical people, so to show a manager why TDD is important, why technical debt is worth investing in, why you would want to do continuous delivery, why refactoring is important. And teaching, you can't show a manager something in code. You can't say, sit down and look at my code with me and see why TDD is better. But if I can give you some a demonstration in Lego and have you actually do it that way, well, all of a sudden, now it's a game that doesn't require programming expertise. Everybody can play the game. I've never taken a training with him, but I have seen his TD, Lego TDD game on YouTube. There was a recording of one of his, his conference sessions, and I watched that. Yes. Yeah, really good stuff. That was probably SDEC in Winnipeg. And if so, I was actually in the room, but the camera didn't catch me because I was at the back. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we since expanded it well beyond just what was in there. So that was originally just TDD with a little bit of refactoring, and now we illustrate technical debt, continuous integration, the evils of silos, a whole bunch of different things that we can demonstrate just with Lego. And I still do that. I teach it to managers, and I've also discovered that developers love playing with Lego too. And so <laughs> when I teach a developer class, because I do teach the Certified Scrum Developer class. When I'm teaching that, I do a little bit of Lego, a little bit of code, a little bit of theory and talk, a little bit more Lego, a little bit more code, a little bit more talk. And we just do this for either three or five days, depending on what flavor of the class we're doing. Oh, yes. 
Um, psychologically, we're switching somebody. The moment they start playing a game, we're switching them into a different ego state. So they're now in a different, more playful state. And when we're in a playful state, we are more receptive to learning. And that's the key. That's why I love games so much. That's huge. And I think Paul and I both got to see you in action with some of the Lego for technical practices at Agile Games in Boston last year. And yes. what what really hit me was I think that sometimes teams struggle to justify to management why they need the technical practice, the technical engineering practices um, training that you're talking about. And the light bulb that went on for me is what you're doing is the perfect way to introduce a management or leadership team to the benefits in a real hands-on visceral way that then they can see why it's useful for you to come back for three or five days to work with the engineering group. Yes, absolutely. And there's just no other way that you can do that and just where you're just talking about it. But I've yet to find a manager that if you don't give them, if you give them a Lego, they become a kid just like everybody else. The thing that I love with any game, whether it's Lego or not, is that if I just tell you something and we sit and we have a rational conversation and I explain the the evils of technical debt or why we'd want to do this or why we'd want to write our tests first, you're going to be responding to me in a perfectly logical and rational way. But the answers that you're going to give me are going to be very different than if we had just done something practical and now you're discussing what happened as opposed to what you think might theoretically happen. Mm -hmm. And the conversations become very different. Because now we're talking about what I really did with the Lego, as opposed to oh, what I think I would theoretically do with some code. Well, and I've seen when you pull out the keyboard, maybe you're trying to do a code dojo or something like that. Uh, certainly with managers, they often freeze up as soon as they see that keyboard and, and it's up on the screen and everyone's watching them. It closes people down. It doesn't create the safe space. Right. Whereas with some kind of a toy, whether it be Lego or something else, Everybody feels comfortable getting in there and playing and experimenting and trying stuff. Even people, I, most of what I do is with Lego, but even with people that have never played with Lego before, they get right into it and they start playing with it. And we do almost every time I do a session, I do find somebody who either has never used Lego at all or hasn't used it since they were a child. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Paul and I have done some things here on the West Coast, and every once in a while we'll get someone who isn't aware of how the things pieces snap together. And the the cool thing is you see um, the people at the table with them showing them and helping them in really interesting ways. So I think there's some of it helps people build teams when they do that as well, because it gets you through the storming into norming, I think. Yes. Yes. We we often start off uh, the the session with with a quick joke. We ask, you know, who here is comfortable with playing with Lego and half the room will put their hand up. And we say, this is your technical support. Feel free to ask them questions. And everybody laughs and we joke and, and we get into it because now everybody recognizes, yeah, I actually have some skills. I didn't think I had skills, but I do have some here. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny is I bought oh a huge lot of the minifigures a couple of months ago thinking of doing some retrospectives around Lego minifigures. And I opened one of them up and I looked at it and I thought, I have no clue how to put this thing together. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's all in a tiny, tiny pieces sometimes. Yeah, that's funny. Kids. Yes, I used Lego for retrospectives as well. 
what one of the important things to do when you're we're talking about Lego, and of course I know you don't do just strictly Lego, but one of the important things to do is skill building. You know, getting those people comfortable with Lego. One of the common games, and even I will use it sometimes, is is the whole build a tower thing. But I know you've got a little bit different take on that. Okay, so getting started, we always want to start with something really simple. And in the case of the Lego technical practices, we always start with the same set, which is initially clear a space in front of you and let's just debrief what this empty space is all about. And we talk about, I don't want to give away too much of the exercise, but it's, there's all kinds of things we can talk about just from the fact you have nothing right in front of you now. Now let's build something, something simple. So instead of a tower, I say build a person in a house. And everybody will go off and do crazy things and inevitably somebody will only build the house or only build the person or they'll build something big and elaborate. They'll use every brick they've possibly got in front of them. And this is great debrief. Well, did it need to be that big? Did you actually build the two things that you were asked for? So all these interesting things and it's just starting from, from nothing. So I'm not expecting a lot of technical skill. Some of the later builds. Yes, we expect that you're, you're a little more comfortable with the Lego. Now you're building a ship or you're building something a little bit more complicated. But at the beginning, it is really, really simple. I want to get you comfortable. It's, it's not as structured as you would find with, for example, a Lego serious play where we would do a much more structured set of buildup towards getting to where we need to be. But I, I am still doing some simple things at the beginning. We won't give away your introduction exercise, but we will say it has a nice Canadian twist to it. <laughs> yes. Now, in fairness, all of these are documented on my website. So anybody who wanted to go and try them is welcome to, to use them. Uh, when people do, all I ask is that you give me feedback on how well it went. So on that website, I, I know we've got a couple other things we want to cover, but as long as you mentioned it, one of my favorite things is on your website, and that is the Lego Serious Play Windows Explorer bag content yes. uh, layout. <laughs> it's like a service to the whole Lego community. Well, and this is one of those things where you scratch your own itch, and then if it happens to help somebody else, that's awesome. I was very annoyed that as you do cleanup after you've done a Lego Serious Play session, trying to figure out what pieces go in what bag is a nightmare. Because, you know, I, I know some people like Ellen Grove have memorized every piece that's in her kit, but I haven't done that, and it was driving me nuts. So mm -hmm. I printed out a single sheet that has a picture of everything. This is the Pokeyoke concept from Lean Manufacturing where you have an outline of every tool on the board. So when the board is full, you can tell at a glance if a tool is missing. Lay everything out on the on the sheet, and you can tell instantly if there's a piece missing or if you have two of something or whatever the, the detail happens to be. And that was purely to satisfy my own itch because I was frustrated, and it turns out that a lot of people had that same frustration. Well, I have printed out a ton of these. I have laminated them. I have given them to people, and they all say Gargoyle Software on there, so um, your brand is there. Awesome. Uh, I love this thing and, and very much promote it. I know Sue Johnston and her husband printed out business card size versions that they stick into the, the play bag ah. for every user. So Cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> Lots of great uses of them out Lots there. Lots of creativity. And, and people would find that at GargoyleSoftware.com, right? Yes, very cool. Yes. I, I hate listening to a podcast going, and just repeat the name one more time, gargoylesoftware.com. Lots of inspiration. And I think one of the things I, that one of the hallmarks of a great trainer and coach who uses games is their ability to 
use it as a metaphor. And you kind of touched on that a little bit, Mike, at the very beginning when you were talking about clearing a space and working from nothing. And I'm sure there's plenty of software developers out there who are, who think and look at their legacy code and think, oh boy, the good old days when, when I started with a blank piece of paper on something new, a blank space and got to create. And I know that's hugely satisfying and quite zen in a way, I think. Well, it's almost idealized. People think that if only I could work on greenfield development again, we wouldn't have any of the problems that I have in this old legacy code base. And I spend a lot of time explaining to people that, no, with what you know now, if you started all over again, you'd end up with the same garbage. <laughs> you, need, you need to first get better at the practices before you start fresh. Oh, amen, and brother. So when I have a team that says we want to rewrite the whole application from scratch, I say spend a couple of months fixing the old one first, build the muscles, get really good at writing clean code. Then if you decide it's still worth doing the greenfield, then go back and do that. But more often than not, we end up rewriting things and claiming that it's a platform improvement just because we allowed the code to get into some horrible state and not because it actually needed to. Mm -hmm. So now... If someone were intrigued by this crazy group of people talking about how awesome Agile games are and they had not yet facilitated one of these sessions, what kinds of tips would you give to someone who wanted to get started in facilitating Agile games in general, perhaps Lego specifically? Well, my best advice is if you can sit in on somebody else's session, mm -hmm. actually experience it first by somebody who has facilitated these before. Now, I know that's not reasonable for everybody. Some people are in isolated communities where it's just not possible for them to do that. But if it is at all possible, go to a place that is hosting these kinds of games, even if it's not the same game you want to do, but just games in general and experience. Open space events like the Coach Camp. There's Coach Camp US, Coach Camp Canada. There's Coach Camps throughout Europe and the rest of the world. Go to one of these events and play some games. Then you'll get ideas about how to facilitate your own. Now, if you really can't, try to watch some videos. Uh, as we mentioned, Brian Beecham has a, an early video of uh, facilitating some of the TDD Lego. In fact, he has a much better version of that up on the Safari Online Books. He has a course there. You can see him facilitating the whole class, but that's for money. So if you don't have a Safari subscription, you can't get to that one. Sounds like it's worth getting. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting how uh, open the community is because when I have asked to sit in on someone's session or collaborate with someone, it's always been an open opportunity to uh, have an interchange and to see what I could learn and how could I contribute and, you know, back and forth. And it's just, it's a fun group of people to hang out with. Oh, absolutely. Well, and speaking of hanging out, I know there's a couple coming up here this spring We've got Agile Games Boston again. Uh, when is that this year? It is the first week in April, 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Boston, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday, Friday, the 6th and 7th is the Mob Programming Conference at the same location. So you can come to Boston and spend five days first talking about Agile Games. And then about mob programming. So Yeah, Laura, I, I know you're giving the, the keynote there this year, right? <laughs> yes, I, I was so I was delighted to be asked to be the closing keynote for Agile Games in Boston. So I will be there. And Mike, are you gonna be Unfortunately, there? Unfortunately I can't make it this year, but I love that conference and I would be there if I could. Yeah, I'm feeling the same way. I'm not gonna be able to make that one, but maybe next year. Now, there is another one that I would like to plug, however. Yep. We're gonna tease that. Oh, okay. It's it's coming. 
we're still in the spring here. I think another one that I think hopefully all three of us are going to be at, Global Scrum Gathering. Are you going to be at that one? I will not be at that one. Oh, we're going to miss out on you again there. Okay, well, I know Laura and I are both speaking at that one, so but but you're not going to be there. Boy, yeah, then if there was another one. Well, well actually, in the spring, just coming up shortly, is Play for Agile Germany, ah, which is the original Play for Agile. Now, I, I don't believe you can still get tickets for that, but it is coming up soon. They've been going on for eight or nine years now. Phenomenal conference. People from all over the world go to Play for Agile in Germany. Have you gone, Mike? I have not gone to that one. But I heard so much good things that I helped the group bring it to North America. Ah, uh, yes. So play for Agile North America? Yes. Yeah, let's yes. hear about it. A couple it. of years ago, a couple of friends of mine decided that they wanted to bring the play for Agile experience to North America because it had only been held in Germany up to that point. And so at an open space, they said, we want to bring it to North America. Who will help? And I was one of the people who stepped up and said, yes, let's do that. So this year will be our third year in North America, and it is an open space uh, event all about using playful techniques for Agile. We are just announcing the dates now for the first time. This is the first time we've announced it publicly. It will be the oh, yeah. weekend of September 8th to 10th this year in Cornwall, which is about an hour from the Montreal airport. So it's in Canada. So for your U.S. listeners, it is a bargain when you consider the uh, the U.S. dollar and where it is relative to the Canadian dollar. You're getting quite a discount. <laughs> we don't have finalized pricing yet. But in Canada, you're still letting us in, right? You're still letting Americans yes, in? Yes, you are still welcome to come and visit us. <laughs> okay, great. So what, what, what we do in one of these events, if I could just quickly plug this, we on the Friday, we do a workshop of some kind. So last year, we did a sketch note workshop. The year before, we actually had a couple of vendors come in, not to give standard vendor pitches. We were very clear on this. You're not here to just pitch your product. You have to play a game with us. And so we had a couple of vendors that came in and actually played with the games that they, they sold. And we actually got to, well, everybody got to experience them. This year, I can't announce yet what our workshop is going to be, but you will be excited when you hear. So that's the Friday is the workshop. And then after that, all day Saturday and into Sunday morning, it's open space. So people bring whatever topic they want to bring. They're all related somehow to playful approaches to Agile. So there might be Lego. There might be games. In past years, we've had people trying to design games. Somebody brought one year, they just had an idea. I want to be able to create a game to illustrate Conway's Law. So he came and a whole bunch of people got together and helped him build up a game to teach Conway's Law. Somebody else brought a new game that they'd already developed. They just wanted to play test. Other people wanted brought prepackaged games that have been around for a while that they just wanted to play again and get people familiar with them. All kinds of ideas around games and how we can use them in our agile work. You said the one in, in Germany sold out. How many tickets are there available for the one up there in Canada? I think we're capping out at 60 or 70. So it's a very small event. It's very intimate. Do you typically sell yes, out? We, we have sold out the last two years. Uh, we didn't sell out right, right. away. We, the, the one in Germany sells out in days. So once they open, you hurry to get in there. Ours doesn't sell out quite that fast, but we have sold out the last two years. And when about do you think tickets are going to be going on sale? We expect within the month. We're just doing final paperwork right now. Okay, great. I assume you'll tweet about it when the tickets actually go on sale. Or... We will indeed. So who should they follow? Uh, well, they, there is a Play for Agile P4ANA is the uh, the Twitter handle. We also playforagilenorthamerica.com. I know it's a mouthful, but playforagilenorthamerica.com is the website, and that will have all of the details. Oh, cool. 
I'm buying my ticket as soon as you announce it because it was it was funny last year I couldn't negotiate with the spousal unit to add yet another conference to my list and this year it was like that play for Agile North America top of the list so I am excited. Well, I'm hoping you're bringing him with you. That's my idea. I mean, you know, how, how much better could it get than flying into Montreal and getting to hang out with our favorite Agile friends, play games, and then, oh, maybe do a little sightseeing and, and enjoy um, Canada for a few days. Yeah, it's perfect. If you don't know who she's talking about, go back and listen to our podcast with Bernie, and you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll find out who she's talking about. The other thing that I didn't mention that's actually kind of fun is we spend the whole day during the day working on how we would use playful attempts towards Agile. And then in the evenings, we, we tend to just sit around and play games, not necessarily games related to work, but just fun games. Ellen usually brings her giant Jenga blocks, which are absolutely massive Jenga blocks. Uh, people bring board games, and we just sit and we play. It's a whole weekend of play. It's, it's quite enjoyable. As I understand it, the play is not taking place necessarily still in the conference rooms, right? Oh, no, at that point, we've often retired to the bar, but... <laughs> Yeah. At the bar, that's, there's that's lots, what lots I've heard. of games as well. <laughs> Escape is probably the favorite. I don't know if you've played Escape from the Temple. Yes, I have. It is a great game. I haven't used this at work yet with Agile teams, but I know people who have done this for retrospectives. It's a very short 10-minute game. You have 10 minutes to escape from the temple, and either everybody survives or nobody survives. It's a cooperative game, so there's no in-between. You either all win or you all lose, and it's a great game to demonstrate team dynamics. People will come into this game, and even though they know ahead of time that you have to play together in order to win, everybody goes in separate directions. <laughs> and it's so classic of what we see in an Agile space. In order to win, we all have to pull together. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm going to go off in my own cube and do my own thing. Oops. Yeah, because isn't that how we've always done it? Even though we talk a good game about teamwork, we don't actually do it. So these kinds of games can illustrate some of those things. Why well, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we all talk together? One of my Lego games is designed exactly for that purpose, is to bring people together and say, you know, if you all sat at the same table, maybe you'd be able to do a better job. If you actually talk to each other, maybe you could actually ship something. Because <laughs> <laughs> inevitably people don't. Yes. I, I get one exercise where people will frequently ask on the first round, are we allowed to talk to each other? And I'll say, well, if you really want to, and then nobody does. <laughs> That wouldn't happen to be the one you ran at Agile Games in Boston last year. I right? think I ran the full set in uh, Boston last year. Yeah, Laura and I were there for that. Where we split everybody up, and you have to build, you have to get the gifts to the ship. Yeah, we 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 played that. That was a lot yeah. of fun. And inevitably, somebody will say, "Are we allowed to talk to each other?" Yeah, sure, if you really want to. But then they don't, and then you debrief it at the end. And well, at the end of round one, wouldn't it have been good if you talked to each other? Yes, we're going to talk to each other. And then you do round two, and you debrief again. What happened to we're going to talk to each other? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't. Okay. But isn't this just like real life? Okay, how about round three? What are you going to do this time? <laughs> oh, we're going to put a bug in Jira. Yeah. So, Mike, you make me think that at some point we need to have you come back and we should just have a, a wrap session on the different ways to set up a game to pre-frame something that then brings out a learning opportunity because there's certain uh, – Jason Tyson, I like to call them opportunities for evil – where you say something that then sets people up to do something that really helps them learn, like you saying to those folks, oh, yeah, if you want to talk, that's fine. When in reality, that's the whole, you know, one of the major points. But the way you say it kind of lets them learn it. Oh, that's so cool. 
Absolutely. And I do that with all kinds of games. Uh, I've been talking predominantly about Lego here, but this afternoon I ran the Elephant Carpaccio exercise, which if you haven't looked at, you should absolutely. And I did that at the client today, and it's again, it's all the same thing. We, it's a big game for two hours. We split some stories. We write some code. We debrief. You're going to walk into all the traps that I, I've laid out for you because I know the traps are there and you don't. And we're going to debrief at the end and you're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we could have done that better. And then you know that you really made a difference when you overhear two of the participants a week later outside of your space going, this is just like what happened when we did that game with Mike. And you think, yep, they're getting the point. Oh, and that's that's exactly what happened with the Elephant Carpaccio in particular. I did this at the client with one team, and the next day I overheard somebody in the team saying, do you remember what we did in that game yesterday? I think we can make the story smaller. <gasps> oh, that's why we do this. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, Mike, it's been great having you on here. It's uh, looking like it's about that time to wrap up. Laura was just saying we'll have to have you back. Clearly, there's a lot of fertile ground here to cover. Sure, anytime. And we're going to have to have some of your cohorts back, too. We're going to have to get Ellen on here and Brian on here. and got so many great people out there in the community to talk to. And I'm sure that if one of us makes it up to play for Agile, we'll be bringing a microphone along with us. I think we're both going, Paul. Yeah, I got to see. That would be perfect. (laughs) You could get a lot of material out of that event. Yeah. Really, everybody who comes uses games. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for being on here, Mike. It's been great to have you. We got that gargoylesoftware.com. Any other ways that you like to keep in touch with people? Um, I'm on every social site. I'm Mike underscore Bowler on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Google Plus. I'm everywhere. If you go to the website, you'll see all the places that I am everywhere else. And one definite place to see you is September at Play for Agile in Cornwall. Absolutely. Everyone should be fun. After I get mine. (laughs) (laughs) Bad boy. Well, we'll see you then at at Play for Agile. Yes, or at one of the many unconferences, Agile Coach Camps and such. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds good. Very good. All right. Thanks, uh, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Laura. You're welcome. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.